Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omaha? What's going on, man? You sound, you sound loud and clear, man. You sound you coming in crystal clear, man. Great, man. Great, great. Yeah, just enjoying this Lord's Day. We're recording this episode on Sunday, November 4th, about 5.13 in the ATL. You're two hours behind me, right, Omaha? Is that correct? I'm now, I, I'm I'm just an hour back, man. Just an hour I'm just back. An now? hour back. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you guys, do you guys adjust for um, you know, the fallback thing with the time, or do you yep. guys? Yep. Okay. Yep. Did you yep. remember to do we, that? We do. Yeah, we do. I, well, I did, man. <laughs> in in some places, I remembered to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most most everything now, you know, I, I, it's weird because I don't really. I don't know if 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 this is you know, average person or not, I don't depend upon any, any kind of, any, you know, anything that's kind of analog anymore. I don't depend upon, you know, uh, uh, anything that's not set to either a computer or, uh, yeah. you know, or a cell phone or something like that. Even, even the alarms, all of my alarms are based upon my cell phone, which, which unfortunately sits up by my bedside. So all that stuff automatically changes for me. Now I don't have to go, I don't actually have to go down and, and change the clock in a manual way. Now, when you get in the car, you know you kind of gotta gotta yeah. reset things, or yeah. you know maybe maybe the maybe the the uh, you know the the, the range you know uh, over our stove or you know yeah. something like that or you know microwave yeah. or something like that. But that's really about it, man. I, our kids won't know what to do when they have to do that automatically. I'm, I'm, I guess <laughs> no, right? you know. Yeah. Wait, yeah. wait. I have to use my. I actually have to use my fingers. What? What? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, yeah. I got. I got to my- count. I got to count this bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you see your kids now, man, having to count backwards, having to use their fingers to do that? Yeah, they wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, they're they're, they're <laughs> clueless. They're absolutely clueless as to what to do, man. Yeah, it, seems, no, but it this- just seems like I just second mentioned a second ago. It's only five fourteen now uh, here at, uh, Eastern time, and I mm-hmm. feel like it's a lot later than that, though. I feel like yeah. you know, so the sun has set here. Uh, yeah. in Atlanta already, so it's starting to mm-hmm. get dark, and it's only five fifteen, man. I just feel like mm-hmm. it's about I don't know five or six hours later than that, man. Right, so. right, right, yeah. And and I I don't know about the you know falling back gain in an hour. I stayed up so late watching my Sooners almost lose their game that uh, I didn't I didn't get any extra sleep. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw your Sooners did their thing, man. The Georgia Bulldogs did their thing. I yep. saw the new poll that uh, came out earlier today. I think you guys are ranked sixth. Is that correct? Right, right, correct. Yeah, so you guys are right behind us at number five. Yep. Yep. Uh, so wh- who do you guys have next week? Oh, gosh, next week. Man, I'd have to look. I don't even I- – I was so busy worrying about this game, man. I, I- – <laughs> I mean, it looked like we were gonna, you know, we were gonna, we were gonna lose or something like that, man. So I'm, I'm like, and it, it was a, it was a late game, so I, you know, I stayed up, man. Good night. It was really late. We're used to putting people away pretty good, so uh, I, I was really trying to figure it out. It looks like on the uh, man, it looks like we got Oklahoma State coming up, man. Here, here okay. uh, next week. So that, that'll be a, that'll be a good game. That'll be a good. They just beat Texas, so. Is that Bedlam? Is that the one they call that's Bedlam? Bedlam? Yes, that's Bedlam. That's okay, Bedlam. okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, we've got Auburn at home. Uh, oh, that'll coming be up. Good. yeah, that'll so, be a good one. So we just wrapped up the uh, SEC East title again yesterday. <laughs> so we'll be uh, it'll be a rematch, man. Uh, Alabama and Georgia in the SEC title game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, they, so we'll they, see they, what they 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 wrapped up LSU pretty good, man. Yeah, they did. I was glad to see that. I was glad to yeah. see that. Yeah. Wow. All right, man. So enough of uh enough of a recap of the weekend, man. We're back here in this episode mm-hmm. part 2, right? Yeah. In yeah. our uh, discussion on the Ligonier Ministries 2018 State of Theology Survey. Absolutely. Yep. Uh and just give some folks some background. Ligonier does this every 2 years. Every two years, they take the pulse, and I'm going to read this directly from thestateoftheology.com. If you've not taken a minute 
to look through this, uh, the results of this survey, uh, the results are absolutely fascinating. So I, uh, I encourage you to go out and check it out. You can get to it at the state of theology. That's all one word dot com. So every couple of years, Ligonier in partnership with Lifeway Research, they just take the pulse of what Americans think about God, Jesus Christ, sin and eternity. And their survey helps uncover those answers. So like I said, every couple of years, they do that just to kind of take what Ligonier calls the theological temperature of the United States to help Christians better understand today's culture and equip the church with better insights for discipleship. discipleship. So when the survey was released a couple of weeks ago, you and I both, before we even sat down and talked about the survey itself, once we did kind of discuss the idea of maybe using the Just Thinking broadcast to conduct a series of episodes to sort of dissect what the survey found, before you even I, you and I even talked about that, we just found the survey fascinating. Mm-hmm. Just, Absolutely. Just, just the responses uh, that were recorded to some of the questions specifically and especially the responses that were given by professing evangelicals. Mm-hmm. So here we are in this episode, part two, because what we want to try to do is maybe dedicate a series of episodes of the Just Thinking Broadcast to individual statements. So in the survey, they're not referred to as questions. They're, they're referred to as statements. Mm-hmm. These, these are declarative statements. And then Ligonier has recorded the responses to these statements in percentages with respect to, to what percentage or, or extent or degree the statement is agreed to by the respondents or disagreed to by the respondents. So last week we tackled statement number six, which had to do with Jesus being the greatest created being of God. Mm -hmm. So we did that in last week's episode. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, go check it out. It's titled state of theology part one. So go ahead and check that out. In this episode, however, we're going to tackle statement number 11. Mm. Statement number 11, as we mentioned last week, we're not not going to be addressing these statements in order as they appear on the survey. Um, We know we might mix it up a little bit, but we thought statement number six with respect to uh, almost 80% of professing evangelicals responded in the affirmative that they concur that Jesus was the greatest created being, the greatest being created by God. So they essentially believe that Jesus was a created being. Mm -hmm. So we saw that that, that that statement was so fundamental. Right. To the Christian worldview that we had to address that one first. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, I invite you to go out and check it out. But this episode, we're looking at statement number 11, of the Ligonier State of Theology Survey for 2018. Statement 11 reads, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. <laughs> Did, do you see the contradiction in that statement? I, or, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually had to stop. Right. Like, everyone sins a little. Like, at that point, I had to stop and laugh. Like, I mean, I think about my own life. I'm like, man, right. a little like if, you, if you're going to characterize my own life by sinning a little. Wow. That's a that's a that's an interesting view. That's an interesting view. You know, I mean, there's so much you can say about this statement. Mm-hmm. So much you can say about this statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Now, before we delve into the biblical reasons why this statement is not true. Right. I found it interesting personally that much like the statement we dealt with in last week's episode, which was statement six again, mm-hmm. in which 78% of respondents agreed that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back at statement six, and we said this in last week's episode, that if you look carefully at statement six, the correct perspective or the correct way to see that statement is intrinsic within the, the statement itself. Mm-hmm. But you have to look carefully at the statement. The key word in statement six is created. Mm-hmm. 
is created. And yet 78% of respondents agree with the way the statement was worded, that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, similarly to statement six, the correct perspective with regard to statement 11 is also intrinsic within the statement. Right. If you look at it carefully, if you look at it carefully, again, statement 11, everyone sins a little, mm-hmm. but most people are good by nature. Now think about it, Omaha. Think about it. How can we be good by nature if everyone sins? Right. So the key word in statement 11 is everyone. Right. It's everyone. How can, how can anyone be good by nature if everyone sins? That's a great point. So to acknowledge that everyone sins a little is to make an absolute statement about our shared nature as human beings. Right. It's, this is interesting because it, it like, like the question we dealt with last week, it deals with a variety of issues regarding theology. I mean, this deals with harmardiology. Mm-hmm. This deals with anthropology. Mm-hmm. Um, this this deals this deals with you could you could you could look at it from a standpoint of you know soteriology, mm-hmm. how you view our, our salvation and what 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 we're being saved from. I mean, pe- most people you know even say, "Hey, I'm, I'm I've been saved." Well, what what have you been saved from? Do you understand mm-hmm. you've mm-hmm. been saved from? God's wrath and deservedly so, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's aspects of, of this question that like the other one, I mean, I, I think, I think the other one last week was more, more central, more core, which mm-hmm, is why mm-hmm. we dealt with it first, mm-hmm. but this is, this is no different. I mean, this, this question right here deals with a, a lot, uh, a, a lot of areas regarding aspects of theology that are important, I think, for for all of us to understand. And in fact, we were we were I was just at at, at church kind of sharing with someone. It was a, a new members. We were I was in a new members class and uh, folks who are interested in placing membership with our church and are interested in more information. And and we, we began to talk about, um, you know, we, we, we actually sh- we, we actually shared the gospel. I mean, I had 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 a chance to kind of share the message of the gospel. And we mm-hmm. talked about what repentance mean. And we talked about the metanoia in the Greek to, mm-hmm. to, for your mind to, to change and for it to, to change and shift from what you think is good to what God thinks is good and right and holy and just. And so uh, just how we view ourselves. I mean, there's so many aspects of this um, that, that, that speaks to different areas of, of theology and our understanding that I think are important to this one in particular. Yeah, I think you made a great point with respect to how the question of of uh, of, of our discussion last week, mm-hmm. the statement on the, in the, in the survey last week that we tackled with respect to Jesus's nature mm-hmm. and his being persistent uh, with respect to him not being a created being. You're absolutely right. There's a direct connection between that statement and understanding the nature of Christ and the statement that we're talking about in this episode with respect to the nature of humanity. Right. right. And why, and why the nature of Christ is so critical as it relates to the nature of humanity. Absolutely. So you've got a direct relationship between understanding biblical Christology mm-hmm. versus understanding biblical harmartiology. Right. You, you must understand both, but it starts with understanding who Christ was and mm-hmm. who Christ is by virtue right. of his nature. Uh, but I just found it interesting that the, to, to have so many people agree that everyone sins yet everyone is good. I mean, that's a contradiction that's inherent to that, to that question for anyone to say, yeah, I believe, I believe that. I mean, that that's a living contradiction. As I said earlier, to acknowledge that everyone sins a little is to make an absolute statement. That's an absolute assertion that you're making about our shared nature as human beings. And here's what I mean by that. If there is something, okay, if there's something, anything, if there's anything that everyone or Mm -hmm. everything within a certain species does without exception, 
then that points to the innate disposition of that species. <laughs> that is a great, that's a great point. That's a great point you just made. Absolutely. So for example, you know, that all dogs bark. Right. Okay. That's an objective fact that mm-hmm. regardless the breed of the dog is true. Mm-hmm. All dogs bark regardless the breed of the dog. That's true. Now, all dogs bark because it is the nature of all dogs to bark. Right. You see where I'm going with this? So Absolutely. For someone to say it's, it's, it's double-mindedness, it's double-speak, to say that everyone sins, but also to say that everyone is good, is 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 non sequitur because you're canceling out the latter argument with the former. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. One of the, one of the things that strikes me about this is is I I, I think it I think it what it ex, what it exposes is how much of the culture is is built into uh, how we think. Uh, as as churchgoers, how we think as as quote unquote believers, right? Mm-hmm. In that, I think what happens is, and 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 you know, I talk to people on the street, uh, you know, all, often about the gospel. I talk to people in coffee shops, wherever I am, and and if an unbeliever, one one of the things that unbelievers have a tendency to find a natural comfort in are things like this. Well, everyone sins. Mm-hmm. You know, well, every everyone does such as well, everyone lie, everyone lies. Well, everyone and what they what they do with with statements like that is rather than identifying what you just alluded to and pointed out very, very clearly uh, that that's something that's problematic as it points to something uh, that that's connected with our with our nature, with who we are as human beings. What they do is they they find comfort in numbers. And so rather than seeing sin as heinous. And pointing to something that's problematic with the nature of humanity, what they do is they find comfort in it. Well, everybody sins. And what they mean by that is simply, well, everybody's in, in this condition. And now that I know that everybody's in the condition, I can characterize it as it's not so bad. Right. Since, since, since everyone does it, it's not so bad. Since everyone mm-hmm. does it, surely God's not going to punish everyone, right? He's not going to be – it, it, it reminds me again of a – of a question that I got at a Bible study the other night uh, where, where we were talking about Jesus uh, brother was, was, was kind of preaching from John uh, uh, 14 and talking about Jesus as the, as the way, the truth and, and, and the life. And, and one of the guys, you know, raised his hand and he said, he said, you mean to tell me that God is going to, to punish a billion Muslims? I mean, how's that, how's that even possible? God's going to punish a billion Muslims. Well, well, I, the, the guy who was teaching that night did a fantastic job of, of addressing that question. But what it speaks to is the presupposition in our mind that since everyone sins a little, everybody's not bad. And you just put a label on it. Well, Muslims or Buddhists or, 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 you know, or blacks or whites or, or whatever group of people you put on it, since everyone does it, it's really not that bad. And God is in no way, shape or form. Should he because we know sin's not so bad. Should he, I mean, that's what's be, that's, that's the presupposition, right? right. Sh- should Indeed. he should he punish everyone? He he shouldn't. I mean, and so I I kind of shared at the end of it that for us to operate from the presupposition that any of us deserve by some outstretched uh, expression of of God's of God of fairness, it's only fair that God gives us all you know, grace. It's only fair that God gives us all equal opportunity for grace. It, it, first of all, it, it's crazy, right? Second of all, right. it, it minimizes the severity and seriousness that we have placed on our sin against the sovereign. Great point. Great point, Omaha. And you know what? I, I'm glad you brought up the question that that person asked with respect to you know, would God really punish a billion Muslims? Because I would have inverted that question and put it back on that person mm. and, and asked him, well, you know, are you aware that the God of the Muslim would very well punish a billion Christians? Right. The God of, of Islam has no problem punishing a billion Christians. Right. So why, why is he, why would he not pose that question towards the Muslim? Right. That's the Muslim. Well, you mean to tell me, that Allah would actually punish a billion Christians? Right. The answer is yeah. 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 He would. 
He would. So, but it's funny though, when you when you come to juxtapositions like that, that the standard is always the Christian God, isn't it? Right. It's always the Christian God. Right, right, right. Nobody ever asked the Buddhist. No. Or the Hindu, mm-hmm. um, you know, how their God, how their deity views sin or and, and but in some worldviews there's no, no no such thing as sin. Right. But the and, point I'm trying to make, I just just trying to reiterate your point is a brilliant point that and I love how you put that that we find comfort in numbers. That was a great point. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, add add to that the 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 Muslim god which again we we you know both know is a false god. That the, the, sure the, is. The Buddhist god there is no other god but there's no but, other god. So 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 but 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 the god of the Bible. So with 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 regard to that their 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 quote unquote god small g has no answer for our sin right has no and 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 so so it it does us i mean it boggles my mind it does us no good to minimize our sin because when we do we minimize what christ came to do for those of us who have repented of our sin and placed our faith in him which again is why it's so crucial to go back and listen to the previous episode and the question of whether Christ was a created being or not, because if he's, if he was created, we're all going to hell. We're Mm -hmm. all going to hell. And we made that point in the episode. There's Mm -hmm. no one who can, no one who is deemed to be equal to us can possibly make atonement for us. Why, why, how can one sinner, which would, which is what Christ would be if he were created being, because he wouldn't be God having been created. Therefore, the deity that created him would be greater than him. Great point. But, but if, if, if Christ is a created being, which would make him no better than us, that would put him on the same plane as you and me. How can a, how can a created sinner atone for other sinners? Mm. That's, that's, that's not possible. That's not possible. So again, that's why it's so critical as we look at all of these questions in this uh, Ligonier State of Theology study, it's fundamental that you understand who Jesus is, not just historically, but biblically, who he was, what his nature was, which is why it's so critical with respect to what we're talking about in this episode and the fact that we all are sinners. There is no one who is innately good. And again, I want to point out the contradiction in this statement. Now, you could look at it as a positive that only 52% of evangelicals agree with statement 11. Mm-hmm. According to the survey, 52% of evangelicals agree that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Now, numbers wise, you might say, hmm, that's about half and half. But remember, these are professing evangelical Christians who are responding to these survey statements. And, and more than half of evangelicals don't understand original sin. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the nature of our depravity at conception, mm-hmm. that they agree that most people are good by nature. They don't recognize the contradiction in agreeing with a statement like that to the extent that you cannot say on the one hand that most people are good, but then on the other hand, agree that everyone sins. Sin and good, by definition, are contradiction in terms. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's it's essentially right there in the question. Mm-hmm. So again, this has to do with our nature. It's not having to do, I think most people who probably responded to this statement, the 52% that agreed, they're probably grading ourselves, grading themselves on a curve, right? So they're saying, <laughs> well, you know, and saying that, yeah, everyone's, but, but, and it's proven by, yeah, everyone says a little. Mm-hmm. We're not all murderers. We're not all rapists. We're right. not all child molesters. Yeah, you right. know, everybody might take a little white lie every now and then. Right. Everybody might cheat on their taxes every now and then or something mm-hmm. like that. So they're grading it on a curve. Right. And what's sad about that is that with respect to, and you brought the, the word earlier, respect to the doctrine of harmatiology and Mm -hmm. the doctrine of soteriology Mm -hmm. and the fact that we are by nature, a species in need of a savior because of sin. What, what I, what I, I guess what concerns me 
in that even if only 52% agree with this statement, that they have a, a paradigm of sin that doesn't appreciate that even the littlest, quote unquote, even the littlest sin would have sent Jesus to the cross. Mm. And that's what's so disheartening about even 52%. Right. Concurring with this statement, 52% of evangelicals Mm -hmm. don't understand what our nature is comprised of, that that we are conceived, not just born sinners, Mm -hmm. we're conceived sinners. Absolutely. So when that sperm meets that egg and fertilizes, at that point, you you are a sinner. That's a, David. David expressed it that way. David expressed that in Psalm fifty-one. Mm-hmm. In sin did my mother? He didn't say birth me. Right. He said conceive. Conceived me. me. Yep. In sin, my mother conceived me. So, again, to acknowledge that everyone sins a little is to make an absolute statement about our shared nature, mm-hmm. our shared sin nature as human beings. All right. Now, in several places across the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, Scripture is clear that contrary to what this 52% of respondents to Statement 11 believe, mankind is not good by nature. Mm-hmm. We are not good by nature. In fact, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Look at Romans 3. I'm going to roll through several Scriptures here to just make this point. Romans 3, verses 21 through 23. Reading, of course, from the non-Arminian Standard Bible. (laughs) Romans 3, verses 21 through 23. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Paul, in that text, he says there is no distinction. Mm -mm. Now, the the 52% who responded to this statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, they are responding in contradiction to what Paul just said in Romans 3.23. Yeah. Those respondents think that there is a distinction, but Paul makes it clear there is no distinction. Mm -mm. There is no distinction. All human beings... Every human being by nature, by nature, regardless of sex, ethnicity, age, socioeconomic station, every human being has sinned. And every sin, regardless how little, quote unquote, is worthy of hell in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. Yeah, I I look at that, man. I mean, that's that's Paul's complete argument, right? Romans one, beginning in verse 18, all the way through the end of chapter three. I mean, if if someone would just take the time to walk through the, the nature of sin, I mean, you, you'd start in verse 18 with the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. You're right. I mean, you, you, you start, I mean, the, the, the writer, I mean, Paul, Paul starts there. Like that, that's where he begins you know, he in in, in Romans one sixteen and seventeen, he, he he unpacks his thesis that he's unashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation first for the Jew, then for the Greek, and that we and that this is established. This righteousness of God is established by from faith to faith, right? Mm-hmm, and and, mm-hmm. and then from from that thesis statement, he then makes the case for the need for the gospel, right? And and he 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 started he starts in. Verse 18 and, and and starts explaining the gospel from the position of God's wrath against unrighteousness and ungodliness that, that men do. I mean, he, he starts there and it only amplifies from there to, to the point right. where, where where you are in, in chapter three, where all where we know all of sin. I mean, Paul makes a robust case in th- he takes three chapters to explain in great detail how flawed this this response to statement number 11 actually is. And I think the point you're bringing up about Paul explaining the gospel <laughs> is not what's happening in churches today, many Man. of them. Yeah. The gospel is not being explained. Mm. This is how you can get 52% of professing evangelicals 
agreeing that most people are good by nature. It's because the gospel's not being explained. Mm. It's not being explained. What's happening in churches today is the gospel is being entertained. Oh man. It's not man. being explained. Bro, you just that's that's gonna be that's gonna be tweeted out right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be that's a tweet right there the gospel I mean, seriously. the gospel's not explained it's entertained it's entertained bro because that's it you look at i, I should listen at, i should i should tweet that out right now go I ahead and tweet, tweet that out man <laughs> tweet that out and i'll handle it while you tweet that go ahead, man. Go ahead and do that go ahead and do that omaha i got you what, so so let me just add this while you send that tweet out right i'm thinking about to that point about how the gospel Today, contemporarily speaking, it's being entertained. It's not being explained. Right. You look at the power of the gospel. And I think what, what what a lot of evangelicals don't appreciate, perhaps they've just totally forgotten and, and don't believe this anymore. I don't think a lot of evangelical Christians today believe that the gospel is what it says it is. The gospel is no longer what the word of God says it is. I think most most many Christians believe that. They don't believe that the gospel is the power of God on the salvation. They don't believe that the gospel is powerful anymore. You look back in the book of Acts, where in one instance, just through the basic organic preaching, and you may, you may even say explaining of the gospel, 3,000 people came to faith, 3,000. Then another instance, again, just by virtue of basic explanation of the gospel, 5,000 people were saved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No smoke. No lights, no worship team, <laughs> right? You know, no no coffee uh, bar, um, you know, no no children's church, no uh, none of those attractions that many churches today use to draw people in mm-hmm. and fill the pews. You know, no ethnic diversity outreach. You know, none of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, nothing programmatic about it. You open your mouth, you preach the gospel, and in those two instances alone, 8,000 souls were saved, right? But but now today, you got to have billboards. You got to have programs. You got to have events. You got to have bands. You got to mm-hmm, have concerts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got to have all these attractions, all these draws. It's as if it's become an evangelical three ring circus, like bring, uh, uh, what's the old circus? Ring, uh, ring, Ringley, Bar- Ringley, Ringley Brothers. and Barnum. Yeah, right, right, right. Ringley, Ringley Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. Barnum and Bailey Circus. <laughs> it's like you got to have, you know, look over over here in uh, in on ring number one, and, and we've got this in ring number two, and we've got mm-hmm. this going on over here, ring number three. But where's the gospel in that? You've got mm-hmm. 52% of the people who don't believe, who don't understand the nature of original sin and that mm-hmm. we all from our first parents have inherited that sin nature and are deserving of hell were it not for the grace of God, were it not for Amen. his grace in saving us. Amen. So all human beings, every human being by nature, I don't care who you are, is a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, Ezekiel eighteen twenty. This is about as unambiguous as you can get. Ezekiel 18:20, the person who sins will die. Mm-hmm. The person who sins will die. And every last one of you who are listening to this, unless Christ is your Savior and Lord, you will die in your sins and spend an eternity in hell. Mm-hmm. Now, I know no one preaches about hell anymore. Mm-mm. No one preaches about hell anymore, so I don't know. The FCC may take us off the air, man, after saying that. <laughs> but no, yep. but no one preaches about hell anymore. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna read something from the New Testament because there's a perception out there, I think, among, uh, in, in especially in American Christianity, that the God of judgment and wrath was pre-New Testament only. The God of the old, yeah, the God of the Old Testament was a stodgy, angry, mm-hmm. mean God who woke up on the wrong side of heaven. He was always angry all the time, right? Just sending that, killing everybody. Well, no, no. Let me read you something from the New Testament, John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, 
But he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Mm. That's the New Testament. That applies to both categories because there are only two categories of people in the world. Believers in Jesus and unbelievers in Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's only two categories. John 3.36 addresses both categories. There's believers in Christ who, was, who have eternal life now. You possess that right now as a believer in Christ. Mm-hmm. Then there's unbelievers in Christ. You don't possess eternal life. Not with, not with God. You possess eternal life all right. But the eternal life you possess is in hell. Mm-hmm. Is in hell. So, yeah, we're all sinners. Ezekiel 18.20, the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. And, of course, in the case of those who have, by God's grace, come to faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, it is the imputed righteousness of Christ that saves us, mm-hmm. not a righteousness of our own, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, exactly. it's, 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 right. It's what Luther called a righteousness that was extra nos in the Latin, extra nos meaning apart from us, okay? So it's not that the Christian claims a righteousness of their own. No, it is an impu- it's the imputed righteousness of Christ when God, by his grace, regenerates the heart to bring you to faith in Christ you believe in Christ, you profess faith in him. It's Romans 10, 9. You confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord. You immediately and instantaneously in that moment have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. Okay? So a couple more scripture verses to sort of establish the fact that human beings are not good by nature. 2 Corinthians five twenty one, and that we need the righteousness of Christ to bring us into a right relationship with God. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him, that is Christ, he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, that we had to, in Christ, become the righteousness of God in him says that we are not innately righteous. We needed his righteousness in order to become righteous in the eyes of God. Absolutely. So that's a critical, a critical word there in second Corinthians five twenty one. Anything that you have to become says that you weren't that originally. Mm-hmm. Okay. First Corinthians one thirty. It's one of my favorite verses, but by his doing, that is by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So if you ever think that you had anything to do with your salvation, with your coming to faith in Christ, nah. 1 Corinthians one thirty makes that clear. It's by God's doing that you are in Christ Jesus. So connect 1 Corinthians one thirty with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and you'll have a proper theology of um, uh, your salvation in that regard. Romans 3, verses 24 and 25. Again, this is reiterating and reinforcing that we are sinners by nature. And in order to be made right with God, we need the righteousness of his perfect sinless son imparted to us in order to be made righteous in his eyes. Romans 3, verses 24 and 25. Being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because of the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we need the righteousness of Christ. It is absolutely mandatory. It is a necessity if we're going to be made right in the eyes of God and may be made right with God because our nature is not innately good. We are not good people. Even the good we do is what? Omaha. 
It's filthy rags. Filthy rags. It's filthy rags. Mm -hmm. Even the good that we call good, it's not good enough for God. Mm -hmm. Genesis 8, 20. Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 21b. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and to every clean animal and took every took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Then the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Mm -hmm. The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now that's not saying from the time you were like six. That's from the time you were conceived. Right. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. Yeah. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Mm -hmm. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. One. Yeah. Not even one. Mm -mm. That's Psalms 14, verses 1 through 3. Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. Mm -hmm. The heart is more deceitful than all else. Meaning, there's no comparison to the deceitfulness of the human heart. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. Yeah. There is nothing, nothing on this earth that you can compare to the deceitfulness of the human heart, as Jeremiah is saying here. Yeah. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right. I mean, the, the, res- the re- very response to this question exposes the truth of that, that scripture. Indeed. Indeed. Jeremiah say he this is one of the most profound rhetorical questions that you'll see in all of scripture. Who can understand the depravity, the deceitfulness of the human heart? That's a rhetorical question, folks. And the, the a rhetorical question is a question wherein the answer is intrinsic to the question. Mm-hmm. No one, no one can understand. This is why, <clears throat> this is why, right, Omaha, when a uh nine-year-old uh boy takes a gun and shoots and kills his six-year-old sister. Mm-hmm. This is why a, mm. a, a, a child who's been brought up with all the, uh, all the blessings and advantages of life mm-hmm. can get so angry at his parents for maybe right. favoriting another sibling over him and murders the whole family. Right, right. This, this is why nothing that I read in the news surprises me. Right. Because we understand the depravity of the human heart, right. the innate depravity of the human heart. Right. It it, it kind of goes along with the idea, you know, and I, I even heard it today at, at, at our I keep I keep referencing the, the, the meeting that we had for, for those inquiring about membership at, at our church, because there, 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 there was a question, you know, why? Why does why? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm hmm. And 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 again, I, you have to go back and unpack the presupposition that that there's someone who's good or someone that deserves, you know, something specific from God. When the reality is, none of us are good. Exactly. And and, and we live in a world filled with people who are not good. Exactly. And and so when those when when something happens to you as a result of either someone else's brokenness or the fact that we live in a fallen world. All of it is as as a result of sin. All of it. All of it. All of it is is the result of sin. All Mm -hmm. of it. And that's a great uh, segue. You didn't notice Omaha, but I've got a couple quotes from my favorite Puritan, Thomas Watson, Mm. um, on that note to sort of drive home what you just stated, that all of it is because of sin. Listen, every single bit of, and and this is why I'll just... uh, divert here for one second this is why i don't understand uh when you when 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 a crime is committed that's either um uh motivated by motivated by someone's uh sex their ethnicity why would why do we use the term hate crime Mm. hate crime really 
is not every crime a form of hate? That's good. A, 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 isn't every crime motivated by hate to one degree or another? Mm-hmm. I mean, hate crime as opposed to a non-hate crime? Does that really matter to the victim? Right. <laughs> Whether it was a hate crime. Hey, what what is a hate crime? Every crime is a hate crime. Mm-hmm. See, when we understand our nature as sinners, as the Bible tells us, as the Bible unambiguously tells us about who we are. Mm-hmm. What did God tell Cain? God told Cain to his face. When Cain got angry at both God and his brother Abel, God told him in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, listen, take stock of what's going on in your heart right now. Mm-hmm. He said, sin is crouching at the door and its right. desire is for you, but you must master it. Mm-hmm. That's your point, Omaha. Absolutely. Everything is rooted in sin. Absolutely. And what did, what did Cain do in the very next verse? He went out and murdered his brother. Mm-hmm. Hate crime? He murdered his brother. It's a crime. Right. It's, a, it's a sin. It's mm-hmm. murder is what it is. Hate crime, really? Yeah. I mean, come on. I, I I love the I love what you've instructed all along uh, as we've gone on with these podcasts, which is how important it is for us to have biblical categories exactly for the issues that we that we encounter. Uh, the, the culture would would try to you know reassign, redefine, restructure, give some kind of word to, and and it, it's imperative that as believers. We hold on to biblical categories because it makes things for us when we do crystal clear how God how God uh, deals with it. Crystal clear is exactly right. I'm glad you said it that way. Crystal mm-hmm. clear is right. When you listen, what did Jesus say in John 17 when he was praying to the Father on our behalf? That that mm-hmm. just floors me. That Jesus, knowing what was ahead of him, took the time to pray personally to his father on our behalf. And part of that prayer was that we be sanctified in the truth. Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is is truth. truth. Amen. It's truth. You see, that's why there is such a thing as true. It's because there's such a thing as truth. Mm -hmm. The reason something is true is because there's truth. Mm-hmm. You see, and this is this is why you cannot afford to live in a world where right and wrong are subjective. Mm. A hate crime is is it's just, just the term itself just makes me just it just befuddles me. Mm-hmm. What difference does that make to the victim? Right. It's unbelievable. But let me let me let me read a quote, a couple quotes here from Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson Mm -hmm. is my favorite Puritan theologian. I've read everything the man ever wrote. Uh, And the cool thing I like about the Puritans is that they treated sin the way it's supposed to be treated. Amen. Come on, man. They They treated sin the way sin is supposed to be treated. Listen to what Thomas Watson wrote in his book, All Things for Good. Watson said this. He said, Christian. Now, this is for the 52% out there who thinks that All of us are basically good. Christian, though you do not break forth into a flame of scandal, yet you have no cause to boast, for there is much sin raked up in the embers of your nature. You have the root of bitterness in you and would bear as hellish fruit as any if God did not either curb you by his power or change you by his grace. Mm. Now that goes back to your point earlier, Virgil, about how we take comfort in numbers. Yeah, yeah. And we compare ourselves to ourselves mm-hmm. so we can kind of chill back in our lazy boys and sit, put our feet up and say, see, not, not, I'm not as bad as that, that, that guy that just got 45 years to life to murder and, for murdering his wife. Right. I'm not right. as bad as him. Right. I'm not as bad as him. But that's because we compare ourselves to ourselves. Mm-hmm. See, Watson just put us in check. He just put us in check. He says, there is much sin raked up in the embers of your nature. Mm. You have the root of bitterness in you. And he's absolutely right. We have the root of bitterness in us. 
-hmm. We have the root of sin by nature in each of us. Watson says this, this is in his book, The Doctrine of Repentance. If you want to read one book by Thomas Watson, read The Doctrine of Repentance. Mm. That's the one I would recommend if you have to only read one book by Watson. Watson says this, is it not strange that two should live together and eat and drink together, yet not know each other? Such is the case of a sinner. His body and soul live together, work together, yet he is unacquainted with himself. He knows not his own heart, nor what a hell he carries about him. Under a veil, a deformed face is hid. Persons are veiled over with ignorance and self-love. Therefore, they see not what deformed souls they have. Wow. The devil does with them as the falconer with the hawk. He blinds them and carries them hooded to hell. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. The Puritans didn't mess around. Mm -mm. They didn't. I mean, that's why they were called Puritans mm -hmm. because they were so serious about sin and Christians living a holy and pure life. Mm -hmm. They're called Puritans because purity mattered to them. Yeah. They weren't called perfections, perfectans. They right. were not preaching sinless perfection. Right. They were preaching having a bent, a desire to live pure before God. It's the quorum Deo, right? Mm -hmm. Living before the face of God, living mm -hmm. purely, living in purity before the face of God. Right. So anything you want to add to that, Omaha? I, I, I do, man, as, as we as we get closer to, to our close, man, I, I think it I think all of what you what you shared is important for us to contemplate, to think about and understand it. Help us to understand our, our depravity, help us to understand our sinfulness. It, it kind of, you know, and, and I, I won't tee this up, but I will I will tell others uh, to go back and take a look at the statement, uh, the state of theology dot com. Statement number 11, because it, it it the response to statement number 11 helps us to understand how and why people responded the way they did to statement number 12. And, and, and I'll, I'll just read it briefly. It says, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. And, and the vast majority of the folks, 58 percent uh, disagree, you know. Uh, with that. And, and it's because of what they stated in the one that we just covered, because their thought is everyone sins a little. Yeah. Right? Bingo, bingo. So so if, if they think everyone sins a little and, and to the point you made, have no thought process about what follows. Mm -hmm. Right. Because because their thought process is even though we sin a little, we're still good. Yeah, and so when, when you so when you get to statement number 12, they don't want to address the fact that sin deserves any sin, even the smallest deserves etern <laughs> eternal damnation. So mm -hmm. all, all of that's wrapped in. I, I just want to want to tell the folks, be sure and take a look at the at the at the bigger picture on that. Anything you've got as we as we wind up our time, buddy. Now, just a reminder that in the episode notes for this episode, just like last week, we're going to have a link to the Ligonier uh, State of Theology survey. So if you haven't taken a look at it, just go down to the notes in this podcast, in this broadcast episode. You'll be able to click that link, go right to it. And I just want to encourage everyone, don't just be a reader of God's word. Be a student of it. Be Amen. a student of it. Pick apart every word in the verse. Don't try to get through so much of the the uh, the text or the chapter that you don't really grasp what the meaning is by what you're reading. Take your time, pick apart the text, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for the next edition of the Just Thinking Broadcast. God bless.